Father, I just want to give you all the thanks and glory. I know that there's been a lot that's happened over the last year. And thinking about how quickly the new year's coming, I can't help but look back and thank you because you got us through. And I know we have a few weeks to go, Lord, and I pray that nothing over the next few weeks we have to get through. But I'm just so grateful because we've seen as a church, we've seen as a family, your faithfulness, your grace, your mercy, your kindness. God, you've continued to work in ways that are still beyond our expectation. And it's just so absolutely a privilege to be a part of. As we look into your word this evening, finishing off 1 Kings and seeing the end of Ahab, I pray, my king, that you would give us wisdom and guidance to understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we saw Ahab come to a place of repentance. In verse 29 of chapter 21, God said, See how Ahab has humbled himself before me. And because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this calamity in his days. Now, three years passed since the last time they were at war. Now, the problem with that is, is they were at war with Syria back in chapter 20. Um, And in verse 21, it just says, It came to pass after these things. But we don't know how long after those things. So somewhere from chapter 20 to the beginning of chapter 22, three years has gone by. So how long was it from the time he humbled himself to we picking up where we're picking up the narrative in chapter 22? I'm not exactly aware. But I bring this up because it was less than three years. Which means Ahab's great repentance lasted less than three years. At the very least. And for all we know, the time between verse 29 and chapter 22, verse 1, I mean, it could have been just a few months because the three years is speaking of the wars we studied a couple chapters back. So three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. It came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. Now, I'm just going to point this out real quick because it's funny. Samaria is north of Jerusalem. And the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, would have been in Jerusalem. But notice it says he went down to visit the king of Israel. And I I probably mentioned this before, but you never go down to Jerusalem. It doesn't matter what direction you're traveling. It doesn't matter if you are physically walking downhill. You always go up. To Jerusalem. And this is very well known. It's a, it's a thing of respect that the Jewish people have done because Jerusalem is where the temple was. Jerusalem is where the glory of God settled upon that temple. Jerusalem, I mean, I, I really have no problem with it because Jerusalem is where our Lord was crucified and resurrected, uh, where he conducted much of his, his public ministry. Um, 
But it's interesting because Jehoshaphat would have been traveling north. And where he went in Samaria was actually on the side of the mountain. Um, <laughs> but he went down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth in Gilead is ours? But we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. So he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are. My people is your people. My horses as your horses. Also Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire for the word of the Lord today. Now that's important because if your Bible is translated similar to mine, the Lord there is capital L-O-R-D. It's the name of God. So he says very specifically, please inquire for the word of Jehovah today. The king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, shall I go against Rimoth Gilead to fight or shall I refrain? So they said, go up for the Lord. Now notice different Lord. Capital L, but little O-R-D. Instead of being the name of God, Jehovah or Yahweh, this is the Hebrew word Adonai. And the word Adonai can reference any person who has some kind of lordship over you, like a servant to a master or something of that nature, not necessarily referencing Jehovah. And they said, go up for the Lord, will deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, is there not still a prophet of the capital L, capital O-R-D, is there not still a prophet of Jehovah here that we may inquire of him? And this is one of my favorite verses in 1 Kings. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imla, by whom we may inquire of Jehovah, but I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. Ahab has just got to be one of the whiniest people in scripture. I mean, I don't want to call that guy. That guy's always mean. That, that's, that's literally his attitude. And Je Jehoshaphat looks at him and goes, dude, come on. Don't, don't say that. You know, I, I mean, in the way I picture it in my head, even though it's not told us here, is that Jehoshaphat looked at him with kind of a funny look like, dude, grow up. What is wrong with you? That's at least how I would have looked at him. Verse 9. The king of Israel called an officer and said, bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah, quickly. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, have been put on their robes, sat each on his throne, and at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. Now Zedekiah, right? He, he wants special attention, this guy. The son of Chinaanah, sounds like a song from the 60s, has made horns of iron for himself. And he said, thus says the Lord. Now notice, it's capital again so he's saying this is in the name of jehovah with these you shall gore the syrians until they are destroyed and all the prophets prophets prophesied so saying go up to ramoth gilead and prosper for the lord will deliver it into the king's hands and the messenger had gone to call micaiah spoke to him saying now listen the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king so please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. You're going, listen, man, all the other guys are blowing smoke up the king's nose. So you just need to do the same thing, right? You just go there and you tell him wonderful things. And Micaiah says, as the Lord lives, 
Whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go and prosper, for Jehovah will deliver it into the hand of the king. And the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? My best guess, and we're going to come back to this in a minute, is that Micaiah said this with sarcasm dripping from his lips like honey. Right? I think he came in, go and prosper. The Lord surely will deliver it into your hand. Because why else would Ahab go, dude, I told you not to lie to me. I don't know why they're all from Southern California tonight. They just are. Verse 17. Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains of sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you that he wouldn't prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Then Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? One spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, that'll work. You shall persuade him and prevail. Go out and do so. Verse 23, therefore, look. It's another way of saying, take heed, right? Pay attention. The Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets. And the Lord has declared disaster against you. Now, Zedekiah, the son of Chinnaanah, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, which way did the spirit from the Lord go? for me to speak to you in other words now i'm speaking by the spirit of the lord did you see him leave my body and come over and speak through you right micaiah answers indeed you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide the king of israel said take micaiah return him to ammon the governor of the city and to joash the king's son and say thus says the king put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, if you ever return in peace, the Lord is not spoken by me. And he said, take heed, all you people. This is just, there's, there's a lot here. So Jehoshaphat visiting Judah, or of Judah, visiting Ahab is actually pretty incredible. This is the first time since the division between Israel and Judah that the two nations had any kind of relationship other than war. Uh, and so you're talking, right, we've had a 150, 200 years go by at this point. So it would have been a long time that the northern and southern kingdom had been divided. And they still sort of are. Uh, but here we see some sort of reconciliation and um, alliance. Now, the reason this happened, and we're going to find this out a little bit later, is because Jehoshaphat's son married Ahab's daughter, Athaliah. 
And, and we're going to see how that's going to cause a lot of problems in Judah later on. I don't know why Jehoshaphat would allow his son to marry the daughter of Jezebel. Um, we're going to see the proverbial apple not fall far from the tree. Uh, when our, when our, my wife uh, was pregnant, before we knew John was a boy or a girl, and when he, uh, we said, well, if it's a girl, I loved this name, Athaliah. I thought it was so pretty, right? Athaliah or Athaliah. I'm like, isn't that a beautiful name? And then she kills all her grandchildren. <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 not naming any of the kids after her. Uh, but that's a ways down the road. So they, they get into this discussion about Ramoth Gilead, um, which was still under the control of the Syrians. It was supposed to be given back to Israel after they defeated Syria and Ben-Hadad. You remember part of the, the surrender agreement was that Ben-Hadad would restore all the cities to Samaria, but they still hadn't restored Ramoth Gilead. So Jehoshaphat says, yeah, you know, I'm like you. My troops are like you, yours, but you know what we need to do? Let's inquire of the Lord. So Ahab brings in all these false prophets. Jehoshaphat says, no, 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 no. We need a prophet of Jehovah. And of course, Ahab gets all upset. He reluctantly sends for Micaiah. And when he comes, while they're waiting, right, this false prophet Zedekiah makes these iron horns. Everybody agrees. So the first thing, which Lord? The false prophets refer to a Lord. Adonai, which can refer to any false god. It can refer to anybody who has some sort of mastery over you. So Jehoshaphat's request shows us that these 400 prophets were likely prophets of Baal. Perhaps Ashtoreth, but most likely Baal. And Jehoshaphat says, no, 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 I want Yahweh. I want Jehovah. Jehovah should be our Adonai. They should be one in the same. But those who worship what is false, they call something else Lord. On Sunday, I asked the question, what have we done with the name of Jesus? And I think this translates to today. Of who do we call Adonai? Is Jehovah our Adonai? Is Jesus our Adonai? I'm, I'm feeling very Hebraic today. Yeshua Amashiach Adonai, Jesus, Messiah, and Lord. Is that who he is to us? Is that who we've surrendered our life to? Or do we allow something or someone else to have control over our lives? And we do, all of us from time to time, anytime we sin, we have committed some sort of act of idolatry because we've put something ahead of God in our hearts. Uh, Thankfully, we can repent and come back real quick. And I like that statement we saw in the video for Sunday school on Sunday. You know that if, if you're in prayer and you get distracted a hundred times, that's a hundred opportunities to come back to the Lord. And I love that saying. And I'm like, you know, we could apply that to other things in our lives. Because we do sin. It'd be nice if we didn't, but we do sin. And... While we can never use grace as an excuse to sin, when we sin, that's not an opportunity for us to end our relationship with God. That's an opportunity for us to come back. Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Luke 9, 23 through 25. He said to all, 
If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself or his soul? I've always liked that verse, and I think the church, Big C Church, has used that verse to the ruin of many. Because this idea of denying ourselves, it's not some form of asceticism, right? It's not we have to go about in sackcloth beating ourselves with whips um, in order to prove our devotion to God. It's not that we can't enjoy life. There are denominations, and I mean, it doesn't say this on their website, but it might as well. That, yeah, you come here, you cannot enjoy anything. But there's so much to enjoy. You know, pleasure has gotten this nasty rap in the church. And don't get me wrong, there are certain types of pleasure that are certainly sinful. But what about the pleasure of eating a chocolate chip cookie? Okay, eating 12 or 14, probably a sin, right? That, that sounds like gluttony. What about just the joy of spending time with somebody you love? Or... Right? But, but we give pleasure a bad rap because quite often we equate it to sin. The idea of denying ourselves doesn't include self-hatred. It doesn't mean that we have to, you know, just walk around going, oh, I'm just such a rotten person. Why would anybody love me? I mean, the truth is we're all rotten people and why should God love us? But he does and we can receive that love. So then we have to ask, what does denying ourselves really talk about? It's surrender. That's what the word means. When we take up our cross and follow Jesus, it's about surrendering our lives to him. For whoever would save his life will lose it. The idea of losing our lives there isn't necessarily speaking about dying, though it can, but it's about giving my life to him. It's yours. Do whatever you want with it. Right? It's when we try to keep it for ourselves. That's when we lose it. When we give it away, that's when God gives it right back in so many amazing ways. Probably not the way we think, but still, it's quite incredible to me. So then we get this messenger who tells Micaiah, you know what? Everybody else has given a good message. Can you just please give a good message? And he goes, I'm only going to tell, I'm only going to say what the Lord tells me to do. And I, uh, this verse came to mind from Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way walk in it. When you turn to the right, or when you turn to the left. And I love that verse. It speaks of really being led by the Spirit of God. That we are attempting to follow the Lord, surrendering our lives to Him. And when we come to a place where we need to figure out, do we turn right or we turn left, that the Spirit is going to go, this is the way. Walk in it. And, and I, I think that's so beautiful. We just have to listen Micaiah's sarcasm. I have determined 
that not only do I think sarcasm is my love language, um, but also I think, though it's not listed in Scripture, right? there are many spiritual gifts that aren't listed in Scripture. I think I, I have the spiritual gift of sarcasm. And I appreciate that there's sarcasm in Scripture. I was talking, hey, it's Wednesday, so I have to tell a Ralph story, right? Um, I was talking to Ralph this morning. We were talking about the book of Job, which I really think I'm going to need to read the book of Job, right? It came up in Sunday school, and then Ralph and I were talking about the book of Job this morning. And one of, and I say this a lot, right? I have a long list of favorite verses in Scripture. Um, but Job, I think it's chapter 12. Let me see if I can find it. Um, yeah, Job chapter 12, verse 2. It's one of my favorite comments, not only in the book of Job, but just in all of Scripture. No doubt you are the people, and wisdom will die with you. Right? That, that, is, that has got to be one of the most sarcastic statements I've ever heard. His quote-unquote comforters are there going, you know what, you're a sinner, clearly God is punishing you, blah, 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 blah. And, and he tries to defend himself, and they just keep coming at him and coming at him, and he finally goes, you know what, you just must know everything. And clearly, when you die, all the wisdom in the world is going to be gone. I mean, that's what he says. I appreciate sarcasm so very much. Don't be sarcastic at the wrong time. I've done that. There's a t-shirt in existence out there that says my death will likely be caused by me being sarcastic at the wrong time. I think that's altogether possible. But then Micaiah goes in to share this vision. And this, oh, this is, this is just, woo. Right, he has this vision of God seated on his throne. And he asks the question, hey, who's going to get Ahab to go up to Ramoth Gilead and die? And one spirit comes forward and has an idea. And then a different spirit comes forward, right? And finally, this one says, you know what, I think I've got it. I'll go down as a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets. And God goes, yep, that's the one. I wrote this sentence. This is a difficult passage for us to understand. Right? There's other places where we see visions of the Lord and councils taking place before the throne of God. We see this in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah says, I saw in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated high. Right? And he describes the throne room of God. He's confronted with his own sinfulness. He is cleansed. And then God calls Isaiah to go. And Isaiah says, or he says, who will go for me? And Isaiah says, here am I. Send me. I learned a new Hebrew word this week. Hinenai. I'm not pronouncing that correctly. And it's H-E-N-I-N-I. -I. And it's when you read this, here am I. That's the word in Hebrew. When you, when you go back to Exodus chapter 3, uh, and Moses, uh, God calls out to Moses from the burning bush, Moses, right? And he responds, here am I. Same word in Hebrew, Henani. And it's got this incredible meaning to it. Because, you know, uh, you know, you ever remember like getting role taken in class or maybe you still take role in class, right? So-and-so, present, 
right? Or here, whatever it might be. This word means not just, yeah, me, but it means that I am in God's presence in the moment. And right, it's just it, it, Hebrew and Greek are so rich. And it's, it's this idea of, you know, Isaiah wasn't going, yeah, what do you want? Right, that wasn't the response. No, he was physically in the presence of God. So was Moses. Physically in the presence of God. In both cases, God spoke. And they were there. They were in that moment. In the presence of God. And as a result of it, able to respond. That's a very big difference than, yeah, I, I was there. <laughs> you know, and, and it's so, so cool to me. <clears throat> that was a really big rabbit trail. The throne room of God. Then we see it again in the first couple chapters of Job. There's Job again, right? Where even Satan has access to this kind of meeting. Boils down to two things. Number one, there is a lot going on in the spiritual realm that we are simply unaware of, right? I mean, we, we have an idea that these things happen, but we don't really know. We know from places like Daniel uh, 7, 8, and 9, and Ephesians chapter 6, that there is a reality of spiritual warfare. And while we know this is happening, we know very little of what is actually happening. Though, we do know that by God's spirit and guidance, we are participants in this war. And we can be participants in this war through prayer, through the word of God, through clothing ourselves in the, in the armor of God, or, or really just realizing that we are clothed in the armor of God. And, and that, to me, is, is wildly amazing. The second point is that we know God is sovereign, and as such, even the enemy ultimately serves the purposes of God. Because this spirit, this spirit who came forth to say, I'm going to, put, I'm going to be a lying spirit in the mouth of the false prophets, this is not an angel. This is most likely a fallen angel. This is most likely a being that we now refer to as a demon. Well, why, why is that being allowed before the throne of God? Because God had a purpose. God had, right, because God doesn't lie. But he needed Ahab to go out to Ramoth Gilead and die. Now, God could have picked him up set him out in the middle of the field and die. I mean, really, when we read about his death in a moment, that's what happens anyway, right? His death would seem completely random, but it's not. And that's just incredible to me. Now, God's sovereignty does not change that we do have the capacity to choose because God wanted to have a meaningful relationship with us. And as such, he didn't create us as robots, Right? It wouldn't do you... Uh, you ever gone to Build-A-Bear? I know my daughter has. You can go to Build-A-Bear and you can put a little sound thing in its foot or wherever it goes. Now some of it's just a song or whatever. Some of it, you can actually record a voice. So like you can build a Build-A-Bear for a grandchild with your voice as a grandfather or grandmother. 
And you can say, oh, I love you so very much. And you take it, they sew it into the little paw. Right? Oh, that's kind of cool. But that's not what God created us to be. We are not Build-A-Bears. He didn't want to come around and poke us in the belly. I love you, God. He wanted us to choose that love. Now, the only reason we can choose that love is because he brings us to the place of being able to choose and offers us his grace and gives us faith to believe. But still, he wants us to be able to choose. And because of that, there has to be an alternate choice. In the garden, that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that they weren't supposed to touch. For us, it's anything, um, the lust of the flesh, eyes, and life from 1 John 2.16, because it's often attractive. And sin often looks attractive until we pay attention to the consequences of it. And this is one of our parts in our spiritual war. The war between the spirit and the flesh. You can read about in Romans 8, 5, and 6, Galatians 5, 16, and 17. But when we choose to follow God, to surrender to him, as we spoke of a moment ago, then this is meaningful. Now our choice to follow him is fueled by his grace and power applied to our lives by his spirit. But still, we must choose. In the book, uh, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, the, the supplemental reading for our, our prayer practice, he talks about, and they talked about it in one of the um, podcasts as well, the fact that we are active participants in God's work on earth. And you got to think about that. There are things that won't happen if we don't do them. Now, God is sovereign. And if he wants something to happen, he can make it happen with or without us. But there are things that won't happen because we didn't do it. And that just boggles my mind that he would allow that, that he would entrust us with some of those things, any of those things. Wow. So yeah, there's a lot going on in the spiritual realm. I don't know why God would allow demons to still come before his throne, but he does. I mean, other than for stuff like this. We do know that one day, in the book of Revelation, Satan will finally be cast out of heaven permanently. And I hope it happens soon. So once Micaiah gives his vision, Zedekiah strikes him, mocks him, and said, oh, where did the spirit go? You know, just being a something. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't think of a good word that I could say in church. Um, and Ahab says, put him in prison. Feed him with the bread of affliction. And the water of affliction. In any words, you know, give him the old, crusty, moldy bread. Give him the, the dirty water. And till I come back in peace. And Micaiah looks at him and says, if you come back in peace, I'm not a prophet. It's exactly what he says to him. And we've hit that so many times because the fact of the matter is, if somebody gives a predictive prophecy and that predictive prophecy doesn't come true, that person is a false prophet. And the last thing he says, Micaiah, before he's thrown in jail, take heed, all you people. Right? He looks at everybody and he goes, you need to listen. I have declared to you the word of God. You need to listen. And so often in our day, the prophetic, because it still exists, but it comes from simply declaring the word of God and telling people 
to listen to and to do what God has told us to do in his word. How many things would we avoid if we would simply listen to and obey the word of God? We're not going to count. It would be a high number. But believe it or not, right, and I do not call myself a prophet, but in declaring the word of God to anybody who's listening, that is the type of the prophetic ministry. Uh, I don't think God has ever used me to predict the future. That would be really cool if he did. I feel like he's warned me of things that were coming. Um, but I don't know that he's ever used me to predict the future. And that's okay. Verse 29. And I know you're like, wow, we took a really long time. Are we going to finish? Yeah. Because the rest of the chapter, we're going to pretty much fly through. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, what a coward. Sorry, man, there's just nothing, there's no redeeming qualities about Ahab. He goes, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariot, saying, fight with no one, small or great, but only the king of Israel. Right, not even the king of Judah. So it was when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, surely it is the king of Israel. Therefore they turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. And it happened, when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. So Ahab, right, he is just such a coward. He goes, Jehoshaphat, you put on your kingly robes. You put on your special armor. Yeah, I'm going to hide. Right? And because I, I'm, I'm going to prove that Micaiah guy wrong. And they go out. The king of Syria says, nobody. You don't fight with anybody but the king of Israel. Right? So you fight with no one but Ahab. So they see Jehoshaphat. They think it's Ahab. And at some point in time, they recognize that it's not Jehoshaphat. How did they know what Jehoshaphat looked like? I mean, did he have a name tag on? Did he have, you know, on his chariot, King of Judah? Right? I, I don't, they, he says he cried out. Did they know what his voice sounded like? I mean, it, I am, somehow they knew, right? It wasn't like they Googled him before they went out to war to see which king they needed to kill. But when they figured out it was him, they stopped fighting at him. And it happened Remember that we talked about, you know, just moments ago, God's sovereignty and it happened. There's so many things that we look like and go, wow, that's, you know, this, this thing happened. No, it didn't. It was orchestrated by God. It happened that a man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. Huh? How do you think that arrow got there? I mean, you know, like, like God just was like, oh, that's going to be off by a couple feet. I'll just kind of cause a breeze to put it where it needs to go or whatever the case and so he said Ahab to the driver of his chariot turn around and take me out of the battle for I am wounded the battle increased that day the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians and died at evening the blood ran out from the wound onto the floor of the chariot then as the sun was going down a shout went throughout the army saying every man to his city and every man to his own country so the king died and was brought to Samaria, and they buried the king in Samaria. Then someone washed the chariot at the pool in Samaria, and the dogs licked up his blood while the harlots bathed. What an interesting comment. I mean, it was prophesied that the dogs would lick up his blood, but the dogs wouldn't actually eat him because of his earlier repentance. But 
whoever recorded this wanted to point out that the harlots were taking a bath there as well. Uh, but this all happened according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken. Now, the rest of the acts of Ahab, all that he did, the ivory house, which he built, um, which would be really interesting to see an entire house built out of ivory, and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Ahab rested with his fathers. Then Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. So just, I mean, just really interesting. Um, verse 41. Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, had become king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. So right, when we see uh, Jehoshaphat here, he'd been on the throne for quite a while, the throne of Judah, because Ahab was on the throne for, oh, does anybody remember how long? Didn't we just read it? I don't remember how long. I thought it was like 25 years. But anyways, um, so Jehoshaphat was king in Judah shortly after Ahab became king and then probably about another 10 years after Ahab died. Uh, so Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azuba, the daughter of Shili. And he walked in all the ways of his father Asa, which was good, if you remember. He did not turn aside from them doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. Also, Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel, which we just saw. Now, the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, the might that he showed, and how he made war, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And they certainly are. And when we get to First and Second Chronicles, we will read about them. And the rest of the perverted persons who remained in the days of his father Asa, he banished from the land. So there was no king in Edom, only a deputy of the king. I do not know why that's there. Uh, but apparently somebody wrote that down and we needed to know it. Um, Jehoshaphat made merchant ships to go to Ophir for gold, but they never sailed for the ships were wrecked at Ezion-Geber. Then Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, let my servants go with your servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat would not. And it didn't matter because they were all destroyed. Um, but he did say no. And Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. So after a very long time of dealing with Ahab, we do go back for a little bit with Judah, and we talk about Jehoshaphat. He did a really good job. Um, he didn't get rid of the high places, but he got rid of the, the phrase there, perverted persons. Um, it, it literally means homosexual prostitutes. Now, some people like to take that phrase in Hebrew and claim that God calling homosexuality a sin only refers to homosexual prostitution. Um, that is not the case. He calls homosexuality of other varieties, right, not connected with prostitution, also sinful. Uh, you can, you know, go read Romans chapter 1, just in case you're wondering. Yeah, um, but there, there are other places. But this specifically is referring to homosexual prostitutes because they were temple prostitutes, uh, right, uh, involved in the false worship of these, these gods. Um, he made ships. Uh, Ahab's men or son wanted to go with him. Jehoshaphat said no. But the verse before tells us all the ships were destroyed, so they never went anyway, right? I mean, there's just details here that I'm not, I'm not exactly sure why. Uh, then he talks about Jehoram, who we'll study when we get into 
Second uh, Kings. Now, the last few verses. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. Um, so yeah, he reigned for 25 years, and Ahab died in his 17th year. So yeah, he had, he had eight more years on the throne after Ahab died. Um, but he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Go figure. And he walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel sin, for he served Baal and worshipped him and provoked the Lord of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. And if you look at 2 Kings chapter 1, uh, Moab rebelled against Israel after the death of Ahab. Now Ahaziah fell through the lattice of his upper room, right? Just right there. It's the same narrative. Um, for some reason, they split the books up that way. But First and Second Kings are one book. But based on, you know, the de democratic process, we'll pick that up next week. Um, two things I want to reiterate as we close. First, it would be understand for us, it would be wise for us to understand that we are daily in a spiritual battle. This is a battle that has been won by Jesus Christ, right? The victory is won, but it's a battle um, we certainly do not and should never try to fight on our own. But as we are empowered by God's spirit and given wisdom and instruction from his word, this battle is often going to take place in the form of our flesh and spirit fighting it out. I referenced Galatians 5, 16 through 18 earlier, and this is what it says. But I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. This is why, right? That's the end of the verse. This is why it's so important that we take heed to God's word. And that informs the second issue that I want to reiterate, and that is the word surrender. We must all surrender to God through Christ, first for salvation, and then daily as we follow him. So yeah, we'll plan to get into 2 Kings next week, unless the Lord intervenes. Um, maybe he's having a meeting right now, and he's going to send somebody to tell me something different. Hopefully not one of the bad guys. But um, Three weeks from today, on December 27th and then January 3rd, we'll take a break for a couple weeks. But that's in the future. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we ask that you would have mercy on us. Help us by your spirit and by your grace and by your will to walk in the way that you have set before us so that we can be pleasing to you and so we can honor you. I pray, Father, that you would give us victory in the daily battles against our flesh and against the world. Please, God, protect us from the schemes of the enemy and the attractiveness of sin. For nothing is better in our lives than to know you more intimately and to be able to shine the light of your love to those around us. Please guide us, Lord, through the rest of our week. All for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen.